This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, I'm Hanif Baharuddin. You're tuned into the show that explores the narratives of historical landmarks and places in the Klang Valley. This month, we're going to be taking a glance at Five for the Faithful, five iconic religious institutions in KL that are within the vicinity of each other and reflect on the role religious institutions play within the multitude of communities in the city. The five religious institutions are Masjid Jami, St. Mary's Cathedral, Sinzia Temple, Sri Mariaman Temple, and the historical Gudwara Sahib Police. Joining me to unpack this is our resident heritage Conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa. As coined by the folks behind Badan Warisan Malaysia then, the Five for the Faithful symbolises the fluidity of communities from various backgrounds existing in the city. Back then, the role of religious institutions were more prominent as a communal hub for societies not only to congregate for spiritual activities, but also as a sanctuary for them to survive and exist. These religious institutions then formed the anchor to allow for other forms of institutions to exist within these localities, while at the same time coexisting with others. Here's Elizabeth Cardosa with a more thorough explanation of these historical institutions and their roles then. I think that that's kind of um, one of the things that I'd like to say. I mean, in Kuala Lumpur, you have distinctive, very important religious buildings, institutions. And if you look around them, you will see that it services traditionally, it would service a particular community set. So if you look at the Masjid Jami, which is now called um, Masjid Jami uh, Sultan Abdul Samad, I'm not quite sure why it was called Sultan, why it's now called Sultan Samad, because he was already dead by the time it was built. And when it was built, uh, the Sultan at that time was Sultan Sulaiman Alaidin, um, Alaidin Sulaiman. So he, and there is a, there is a, um, like a, a stone, you know, that commemorates, you know, the, the establishment of, of the mosque. Nevertheless, you know, whatever it is, it, it is a very important focus, yeah, for the Malay Muslim community. Um, the Indian Muslim community have another mosque um, nearby, and that really has to do with partly culture, partly language. Um, and if you look at the commercial activity around there, that area, you know, um, and the and the kind of, of traditionally, you know, the kind of people, peoples, groups that um, worked there or or lived there, that would be their focus. That would be where they would go. So you would have uh, Friday prayer meetings being, um, prayer services being conducted in Tamil um, as opposed to a Malay, you know, or, or whatever language, I mean, you know, you use whatever is your... So there is a native language for whichever community is there and, and that's what you conduct your service in, your prayer meetings in, you know. Um, if you look at St. Mary's Cathedral um, next to, you know, at the Padang, um, that was, you know, the, the civic enclave, which was the European, you know, the the British administration, right? The British government or the, you know, the, the, the early government this, of course, predates Mereka. So what were, the, what were the, their main constituents? They would have been professed um, Anglicans, and that's where um, they went. Nearby, again, in KL, you have uh, St. John's Cathedral. I mean, St. John, you know, up 
on Bukit Nanas. And that would have serviced also a Christian community, but a Catholic, Roman Catholic community. And that Roman Catholic community was related very much to the schools as well that, that uh, were built in that area. So, you know, you, you make these connections. Um, there was, as a matter of fact, there was a Tamil Methodist uh, church that was, um, again, in, in that same vicinity, which eventually got moved in the 1960s um, to Brickfields. Um, so you, you, you kind of like transit, you know, if, if you are looking at that. St. Mary's at the Padang is one end, if you want to say. Um, then there's Masjid Jami, which is, of course, at the confluence, extremely, extremely iconic building and location, yeah, its structure as well. It was relocated there, you know, in 1906, I think it was. But nevertheless, there was a mosque very close by to that area and then they relocated this grander, much grander structure. So it became um, imposing, you know, it, it, was, it was something that you want to be able to say, you know, we are celebrating, we are bringing our community together in this way and not showing off. It's not a show off. It is really, um, you know, an aspirational thing. And then you move a little bit more into what, you know, KL calls the Chinatown area, you know, where the Chinese uh, traditional community would have um, been. Now, they would have been made up of many different groups, language groups, um, you know, from the Hakka to the Cantonese to whatever else. Um, but they would have been Taoists or Confucianists. And, and you have the Sinsia Temple, um, which is purported to have been built by Yap Aloy. Um, and, and well, not purported, I mean, he, you know, he did, he did provide the property, he did, I mean, what you see now wasn't built by him, obviously, um, I mean, in terms of the physical structure, but the site was something that he gave, right? And um, that service, and that's the city, that's the city temple for the Chinese community, you know, it was next to the market, you know, everybody, no matter which language group you belong to would you know or which you know whether whether you were which even profession you belong to you would go to the market right everybody goes to the market right and if you go to the market you know when you want to really just be blessed and blessed back and meet people and whatever you have a city temple right there which which is cross community um and then you move a little bit further down on um Jalan Tun H.S. Lee, it used to be called High Street, you have the Sri Mariaman Temple. You know, again, it was land that was given by city fathers, early city who who were Indian and Hindu. And, you know, it has been established as, you know, a very large, it, it services actually all of Kuala Lumpur. You know, but that would have been a core community around it. And if you look at not just the businesses, but at the land ownership and the activities that are there, you know, that's what is being provided for. Along the way, there are many, many different kinds of shrines and 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 clan associations and different kinds of religious institutions. But these are the the, the kind of like the main ones, right, in KL. And then you you go further down and you turn a corner. And it would have been related to um, the police station that was there, you know, Kale's earliest police station. Um, and that's the Sikh Gudwara. And the Gudwara was, have been the police Gudwara because that's, because that's their community. There were a lot of Sikhs, 
and then you build a gurdwara because you want to be able to allow communities to be able to you know to make their religious practices easy i don't send you you know you have to go you know walk miles away no you know it's in your neighborhood it is within reach it is partly your sanctuary it is where you're familiar and where your community is and that's where you can go to for solace for help for celebration for whatever you need and definitely for your your own spiritual edification and so that's kind of like in a sense um you look at any town in malaya old town in malaya that had a mixed community and you will see that kind of a set of religious um, institutions almost on one street um you would find the chinese temple and the hindu temple you may or may not find a gurdwara depending on whether there were sikhs around you will definitely find a mosque um and and you will find a church likely you know it, especially where there are schools or where there was a big british presence and they are not far away from each other and then you look around these structures and you will see a whole set of supporting institutions um not just houses not just residential or shop houses but you will see um other kinds of activities you know like i said earlier schools um other kinds of activities that would service you know that particular institution so next to a chinese temple you you will find you know shops um that commercial operations and food and what not that service that particular community that that um would provide for for them around a hindu temple again you know you would get the garland sellers you would get you know these are the kinds of things that that um uh you would have because that's where people congregated and so obviously you know it makes great economic sense to have these other things in a way as as a hub it becomes you know little, little they 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 are not separated by walls because they are all they're all next to each other yeah um you've dubbed i guess the five religious institutions as five for the faithful right and what i find interesting is that um I guess in describing these institutions um you have spoken earlier about the importance of religious institutions in anchoring communities right maybe you can elaborate yes. a bit more on why religious institutions are important in I guess anchoring communities to a certain area Well I think that um in times okay let's say you're an you're a newcomer and tell you an interesting story about a particular a mosque in Penang it uh, was called the um the bengali mosque okay people used to refer to it as a bengali mosque um because the people who went to that mosque were from bengal um and um if they were immigrants and they were newly arrived in penang in georgetown and they were from that particular um area and um, they would go there and they were muslim they would go there because that's where they would get support and so yes it becomes a haven yeah a, a safe place for you where you're away from everything that you know um and yet you are in a familiar place and so you feel safe so in in that sense you know it it becomes your 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 harbor and um and the story behind that is really it was really quite 
funny because um, someone who should have known better said, oh, how come it's a masjid? Yeah, I mean, Bengali, because aunt Bengali, this was a, a, a rather perhaps um, not so PC term nowadays. Yeah, Sikhs were used to be called Bengali. Although they were, you know, a lot of them were Punjabi, and I mean, and, and it was, there's a big difference between where you're from, meaning the area you're from, and your religious, um, uh, in you know, your religious beliefs. So anyhow, this particular mosque, you know, when when people came in from Bengal, they would give them a place to stay. They would help them find accommodation with. Um, you know, uh, someone from the community who could provide that, they would help them find a job, you know, and an and economic base. And they would always, of course, you know, as, as, as um, a religious institution, make sure that your spiritual needs are met. Um, so, yeah, you know, they become then, then, then a solid anchor um, because that's where you would gravitate to in times of trouble, in times of celebration, in times of, of you know, festivities. Um, you want to come together. Um, in times of disaster, you come together because in that familiarity, you find support. Um, so, yes, they, they would have provided that kind of um, traditionally, yeah, support. I mean, we don't have... Um, you know, the kind of ministries and welfare departments and whatnot and whatnot that we have nowadays here, you know, in a more modern contemporary society. But in a traditional society, that's where you went. That's where you found your, your you know, it was an expression of yourself, your community, you as an individual, but also you as a group. And I think that that's something that we don't necessarily recognize anymore. Do even our society recognize the fact that religious institutions can be used as a place for you to somehow find sanctuary and and not just spiritual sanctuary, but also like the kind of communal sanctuary that not so insular, but at the same time in the form of trying to you know trying to you know start start a new right. For example, if you arrive at a new place, you know, can you go to a religious institution and? Announce your presence, or you know, try to find. <laughs> announce your presence might be sounds a bit more grandiose. No, well, yeah, no, but I yeah. know what you mean. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, um, I think that some religious institutions continue to provide that. Um, certainly, because you you know you you look at the immigrant communities and you say, okay, where would you find them, so to speak? You know, you you know, if you wanted to, and you asked around, I'm looking for this particular group of people. Where would I find? Because that's, I come from this um, language group, from this part of the world, you know, that kind of thing. And then you, you, you gravitate to that first as a base. So because it is familiar. And I think that at the end of the day, the majority of religious institutions will say that what they, you know, you, you look at a moral code. What's the moral code, right? Everybody, be good, right? Don't harm, right? You know, that these are things that, that no matter what religion, nobody says, go out and, you know, shoot somebody or steal from them or covet their goods. You know, no, all religions, you know, will have as their base this issue of being, and you practice it differently. Maybe, you know, you have different manifestations, but that is your base. Your base is seen as, as and, and professed as a moral ground. 
right? And in a lot of times when there have been stresses and pressures, a lot of institutions, religious institutions, have opened their doors to people outside of their particular belief system and welcomed them because this is part of it. This part of it is actually because you, 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 no judgment, yeah? You know, come in and be welcome. You know, you look at feeding, pro, you know, like um, feeding the homeless, for example, street, street people, um, and you look at, you know, who a lot of them have got roots uh, or, or a base in a religious institution. It could be, um, you know, um, it doesn't have to be a, a temple or a mosque or, you know, a church or whatever. But where the, where the, the prevalent, you know, the prevailing um, idea is that as your base. You know, you profess a particular religious sensibility and that's and that, why you want help. You know, good acts, not because you have to, but because you want to. And this compulsion is 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 still around today. Um, I don't know. I mean, I should ask you the question. You know, do you think it's been lost? Um, I I think in a very secular um, world that we live in now, we we try to move away from it being, oh, you know, seen as, um, you know, we don't want it to be seen that way because maybe it will be misunderstood. If you strip all of that away and you look at the base, this this idea of five for the faithful, I mean, when, when we were designing the walk, um, was to look, you know, at how communities lived together apart and together, what kind of practices uh, they would have, which were theirs alone and which allowed and welcomed others to view, but not to necessarily, um, well, not to abuse. Yeah. Um, you know, and that you translate into things like the open house concept. Yeah. Every time you have a, you know, this, this Malaysia and our many, 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 many festivals, um, some of which are cultural and some of which are religious. Um, and when they are religious festivals, um, this this business of of holding an open house to welcome and um, everybody, you know, without um, fear or favor, you know, without not to discriminate against um, anybody who who comes from with a different creed. Um, and I think that that. That is what these old towns, in a sense, without it was organic. You know, it wasn't it wasn't constructed that way. It just was convenient, and it was just the most sensible and practical approach, right? Mm. I mean, if I am, you know, a particular um, of a particular group, whether it's a religious group or an ethnic group or whatever, and I speak the same language. And I go to schools in the, in, you know, I would want maybe my children to be educated in that language. Do I want to send them, you know, miles and miles away? Um, I couldn't afford it anyway in those days. In the days before the prevalence of public transport. <laughs> uh, even now it can be expensive and it's time costs because, you know, you get stuck 
in traffic jams or you get stuck when trains don't move or whatever. So it is a reflection of the fact that Malaysia is a very multiple, you know, has multiple communities. And I think that that is something that that, um, we should recognize and celebrate, really, rather than say, oh, you know, you're different, you're this, you're that, you know. Um, There are things that are common and there are things that are not, but so what? Who wants just to have a single, it's very boring, you know, when you have a, a playing field that is just singular, right? You know, having this diversity is what makes us, I think, um, what makes it just, you know, just that much more, um, that variety makes it just much more enjoyable because we can experience, we don't have to subscribe and we shouldn't judge. I think that that's, that's it. We really shouldn't judge. Do you think that the city in its concept allows for a much more fluid integration of this nature? And the modern city? Modern or even traditional city? The I very think fact a traditional that, yeah. city, I think, would have allowed it much more. Um, the, the, the sort of the, the constraints, yeah? nowadays placed on society because of economic drivers um you know um it's about a little bit about class yeah um you know which neighborhood you live in what's your postcode yeah uh what kind of a property do you live in um you know the difference between a ppr flat and a private flat apartment and as an individual living in a studio apartment or living in a PPR, same size, huh? uh, you know, 600 square feet, that kind of thing. Um, I live in a PPR flat or I live in a studio apartment. This is a reflection of, of th- this, this interjection, you know, of um, aspirations, of values, which are today la, as opposed to traditionally. So you would be able to see um, in, in an old neighborhood, you'd be able to see where there was more wealth in a house or in a property. But on the whole, everybody, you know, went to the same temple, mosque, church, you know, that kind of thing, correct? You sit in the front, you sit in the back, you, you know, you pray together, you, you, you eat together, you know, you, you work together, you go to the same schools, um, I think it was more, in a sense, more egalitarian um, because there was less mobility. And then you start adding on, you know, oh, I am from a particular class. I have, I come from landed gentry. I come from royalty. I come from whatever. And so I have more mobility. Yeah. I have more, I don't know, financial wealth, you know, more spare change, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, I can access things. I can access more things. And then you start building on, you know, class, you start building on um, ethnicity, you add on that layer of bias. Oh, you know, you're not the same as me. Um, What skin color are you, you know? That's the kind of thing that makes for separation, makes for, that's where society breaks. Because you're, you don't, you don't say, okay, let's look at what we have in common and, and agree that we don't necessarily have to have everything in common. 
you know, but we do have some neutral spaces, you know, the Padang, everybody can play in the Padang, right? Everybody can uh, use the same street. You know, we walk up and down the same street and whether you are, you know, and we breathe the same air. And so, you know, something like haze, you know, every, you know, we've suffered like 30 years of it or something like that. 20, 30 years of this, this horrible thing called haze. Um, okay, you can escape it if you live in a place and you can close all your windows and you can turn on your air conditioner and you have a, a, a an air filter or whatever it is, you know, that, that helps. But as soon as you go out, you're the same as everybody else. In a drought, you're the same as everybody Yes, you can afford to buy bottled water maybe, but at the end of the day, it affects everybody in the same way. And I think that that, that kind of, you know, idea of what is a level playing field and how communities can work together reflects in traditional community, in traditional places, in traditional settlements, there was this kind of cross support um, because, you know, if I had more and then, like I said, you know, I, I celebrate, I open, I welcome. You may choose not to come in, but that's your choice. I am not saying, you know, I allow you. You know what I mean? You, 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 I'm not chasing you away. I say, I'm open, you know, um, welcome. I'm not going to do anything to you. And so this this whole way of navigating, I think we're now almost much more ghettoized, I, I feel, you know. I mean, I'm old, you're young, you know. Even then we have different, you know, like what, what I deal with or, or have to, you know, what I find more challenging, um, you would just say, hey, it's a real breeze, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and that's how we... We operate, I think. You've been tuning in to I Love KL and this week we caught up with our resident heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa to explore the five for the faithful, five historical religious institutions in KL and their roles in developing communities in the city. That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you miss any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at bfm.my slash ilovekl, our app which you can find via Google Play and the App Store and also Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Hanif Baharuddin and you have been tuning in to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Join us again next week only on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.